Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. My name is David McLean, and our reading today comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. Luke writes, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Well, they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. And yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Doctor, heal yourself. And what we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. Then he said to them, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day, you know, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. So at first thought you may have wondered, why are we in Luke chapter 4 when we have been in in 1 Kings talking about Elijah? At least that was my first thought. But after reading it, it's clear that uh, what happens to Elijah and also to Elisha um, directly uh, affects how Jesus begins his ministry here in the Gospel of Luke. Um, he begins with the words from Isaiah chapter 61, talking about the Spirit of the Lord is on me, that he's come to preach good news to the poor, proclaim uh, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set free the oppressed. And, and, and as he's preaching, as he's reading these words, I wonder if you know gets he maybe got some amens or some nods in the crowd. You know, yeah, it's a good reading. But it says that uh, as he sat down, the eyes of everyone in the synagogues were fixed on him. But then he says... Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. He read a messianic prophecy and then said it's been fulfilled. In other words, it's time. I'm here. Uh, and then if you read on in Luke, right after he, uh, right after this uh, image of the crowd trying to, or this moment of the crowd trying to throw him off a cliff, you know, he said he made his way through the crowd and went about his way. He immediately goes down to Capernaum, and that's where he starts driving out spirits and healing. You know, these things that I, Isaiah uh, 61 prophesy about he says the day uh, has come the scripture has been fulfilled and he goes and he does it but that's not even what kind of makes them mad it makes them question like wait a minute you think you're the messiah aren't you joseph's son Uh, and i think if maybe a lot of us have experienced when we try to uh, talk to someone that we've known for a long time maybe it's a family member or a longtime friend uh, maybe we try to, to share with them our faith uh, sometimes they like to throw up our past in our face. Sometimes they like to say, wait a minute, what makes you think you're better than me? Or aren't you, isn't your dad or isn't your mom? Or aren't you the one that, 
I know it's happened to me. Uh, uh, it's, it's kind of humorous, but uh, most of the teachers that I have seen, uh, my elementary school teachers, that I have seen now that I'm an adult, when I tell them that I'm in ministry, especially when I was preaching full-time, they'd say, oh, David, what are you doing now? And I was like, oh, uh, well, I'm a preacher. And they all start laughing. And they say, yeah, that that makes sense because that's all I ever did in class when I was in elementary school was talk all the time. Uh, I've had some middle school teachers who were um, actually surprised and shocked that I went into ministry based on the type of student that I was. Uh, so, you know, we have those people who say, wait a minute, and I like to throw our, our past back in our face. Uh, that's what they do Jesus. Isn't this Joseph's son? Like, pff, you're not the Messiah. Come on. And then that's when he says, is when he calls him out. Uh, he says, you know what? A prophet is not accepted in his hometown. Um, and they, he says, you will reject, you will reject me. And, and they did reject him. It wasn't a surprise. And then he brings up this moment with Elijah. And we, if you remember from our podcast last week, we talked about uh, Elijah and the widow, uh, which leads to the showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. But how Elijah goes to uh, King Ahab and tells him that there's going to be a drought, there's going to be a famine, uh, the clouds are going to close up, and they are not going to rain again until I command it. And in this in this drought and this famine, there's this moment in First uh, Kings chapter 17, where God tells Elijah to go to uh, this this town that <laughs> that Elijah probably thought he misheard what God said. He said, "Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon." Um, I mean, Zarephath wasn't a really important town. Uh, it was located between the major cities of Tyre and Sidon. It had been about 100 miles for Elijah to travel, so a pretty good distance for him to travel, especially given uh, the scarcity of food and, and water. It would have made it a very difficult trip. But it was also a surprise for Elijah to go here because it's not in Israel. It's outside of Israel. See, Elijah had gone to the king and said, uh, there's going to be a drought as long as I allow it. And so he's hanging out in Israel. He's hiding. He's waiting for the moment to let the rain. And God tells him, no, it's time for you to leave Israel. You're going to leave Israel. So so. Elijah is basically leaving Israel in a drought to go to a uh, a Gentile town to go to Zarephath, um, which is you know that's where worship of Baal is strongest. That's where uh, uh, Sidon is, where Jezebel comes from. So it is a, it's a surprise, you know. In all of this, I, shouldn't I be here waiting to bring the rain again, uh, Yahweh? Shouldn't I be here, God, uh, uh, to to bring an end to this famine? No, it's time for you to go to Zarephath. I've got something for you to do down there. But what Jesus really hones on in is the fact that this widow, this uh, this Gentile widow, was blessed through Elijah. And Jesus points out there were a lot of widows in Israel in Elijah's day. But when there was a famine, when there was a drought, Elijah didn't go to any of them. He went to the widow at Zarephath and Sidon. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, what about Elisha? He says, you know, uh, in the prophet Elijah's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy. Uh, in Second Kings chapter 5, we have the story of Naaman, who was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. Uh, he, uh, he is inflicted with leprosy. And so uh, he is sent to the king of Israel so that the king of Israel would make the prophet of God, which was Elisha, heal him from leprosy. Uh, so Elisha finds out. He comes and he tells uh, Naaman to... Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. Uh, you will be healed. See, Naaman, though, he gets angry. He gets angry that this is what, uh, this is all that he has said. 
You know, and he expected a, a, a royal treatment. He was a great hero. He was used to getting respect. And so he was outraged when Elisha treated him just like a regular, ordinary person. Uh, I mean, to wash in a great river would be one thing, but the Jordan was small and dirty. To, to wash in the Jordan uh, was beneath a man of Naaman's position. Um, but he, was, he bathed in the Jordan like he was told. Uh, he ends up being healed, and God gets the glory for it. But again, Jesus' point was there were many in Israel in Israel who had leprosy, many of God's chosen people, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. This is not uh, what Je- Jesus is not focusing on the widow or uh, Naaman with leprosy here. What he is telling them, he is it is an indictment on their faithlessness. He is telling them that they are just like the faithless uh, Jews during Elisha. And Elijah's time. Uh, I mean, he really just starts antagonizing them by one, um, saying that they would they would reject him, which they did, but then compares them to faithless Jews. Um, and then he really gets them because what he's saying, he's suggesting that Gentiles could enjoy the blessings of God that were missed by the Jews. This was just an unthinkable violation uh, in their minds. Like, this is not something that happens. Really what it is, too, here is this is a challenge uh, of his of the religious leaders, of the Jews that are listening to him. It is a challenge for them to ask themselves, how big is your God? Because what they're about to experience, what they are about to see, and what they're about to hear about is going to blow their, their understanding of God out of the water. You know, first of all, you don't think that God can come for the Gentiles. Well, even in Elisha and Elijah's time, God was blessing and healing Gentiles. And now here they are again thinking, well, this is just not possible. God's not going to, not God's not here for the Gentiles, only here for us. And so Jesus really starts challenging them, how big or how small is your God? Uh, could God really bless a widow? Uh, could God really heal a Gentile? Um, obviously the answer is yes, because we just read about it. Uh, but we need to consider how big or how small God is for us. Uh, the story of the widow of Zarephath challenges us to see uh, the bigness of God in a particular way. Uh, obviously, the story testifies to, to God's power uh, to wonderfully provide for the, the woman and her son in a terrible time of famine. And it also underlines that what the living God promises, he does. Um, and so here's Jesus standing up to address the people in his hometown. And they're so enraged because they realize, or he, he, they don't realize, but he tells them their story is a lot like Elijah and Elisha. He insisted in, that they were acting like Israel of old who rejected the prophets. Of all the widows to whom the Lord could send Elijah and, and who could be blessed by Elijah, the Lord chose to send him outside Israel. And so see, God's purpose was not going to be restrained by the small-mindedness of the people of Nazareth. God's purposes were not uh, going to be held back by the small-mindedness of King Ahab and his people. Uh, The the scene in Luke's gospel kind of sets Jesus' agenda. Uh, The way in which uh, the word of God was sent beyond the borders of Israel in the days of Elijah was really an anticipation of the way in which the gospel of Jesus uh, was and has been sent to the nations of the world. Um, Paul says in, in Acts chapter 22, um, 
or says that the Lord said to him, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles, to the nations. Uh, and so we know this. We know that, 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 that the gospel is for all, but sometimes it doesn't reflect in our attitudes. It doesn't reflect in the way that we treat people. Um, sometimes we elevate ourselves above others. Uh, sometimes we think that we are we should be forgiven, but maybe others should not. We like to put a a, a severity to our ranking of sins or or crimes or whatever you want to call them, and say that well we can be forgiven, but this person just can't be forgiven. That was just too bad, and really we're just as guilty uh, as as they were in Elisha and Elijah's time and in Jesus's time. Of making God small. Because here's the reality. Uh, our God is too small when he is not uh, in our mind, in our heart, and in our passion. When Our God is too small when he is not the God of all people. Uh, when our God is just for church and family, but not for the big world out there, our God is too small. Our concept of God is too small, which affects the way that we uh, worship, affects the way that we treat people. Um God is a God for all. And that's really what Jesus is, is telling them in Luke chapter 4, is that what you're about to witness, what you're about to hear, is going to show you that, yes, God is for you, that you are loved by God, but guess what? So are the Gentiles. So are uh, the the Samaritans. So are the unbelievers. Just like uh, the the Syrians were. Just like... Uh, the widow was by Elijah. Uh, just like so many times, God has shown throughout history that he loves everybody, that he is a God of all people. And so for us, the challenge is not to make God so small, not to put God in a box, but instead realize that God is for all people. And if you don't think that that is important for today, then I don't think you've been paying attention. Because that means God is for Democrats and Republicans. That means God loves uh, all lives, no matter the color of their skin. That God is for everybody. That these divisions that we put between us, these things that we, we fight and feud and war over, that's not what God is. That's not what God stands for. God is for all people. Um, no matter what age, no matter what race, no matter what ethnicity, no matter what social status, that God is for all people. And if we don't get that, if we don't get that, not just understand it, but also live it and practice it, then we're, we're like these Jews that Jesus, that Jesus you know, you know, insults, saying right here, in Luke chapter 4, standing there, saying that you were just as bad as the faithless Jews. And that your mind is about to be blown if you do not grasp the fact that God is for all people. Uh, well, I hope that something there in, in the last 15 minutes uh, blessed you uh, in some form or fashion. Um, I admit I, I get a little nervous doing the podcast, uh, but it's been a blessing for me, and, and so I hope it has been a blessing for you as well. I hope you have a blessed week. I hope that you uh, not only have a blessed week, but are a blessing to uh, someone else around you. Uh, and remember that everybody you encounter, 
is loved by God. No matter whether you like them or not, or agree with them or not, every person is loved by God. And let that be reflected in your words and in your actions this week.